been listening to MOD Channel. Hi guys, welcome to my podcast. This is MOG channel where we help you to see a real and practical Christian from God's word. If you're new here, welcome. If you're returning, welcome back. Today we're going to be looking at the Bible and figures of speech or the Bible's figures of speech. This is a topic that has been long coming and it's been on my mind for a while. And you're going to see in a minute that if you don't understand this topic, you're going to be making the biggest blunders in the way you study the Bible, in the way you see the Bible, and it's just going to be a hot mess. So let's jump on the train and let's start to study. All right, the Bible is said and proven to contain the very words of God, His communication to man. All right, it contains the very words of God, His communication to man. So that Bible that is on your desktop or in your library or wherever in your bedroom gathering dust under your bed that bible there contains the very sacred words of god it is god's communication to mankind and that means that it becomes the most precious book on the planet there is no book more precious than the bible actually it's the best-selling book in the entire world and for good reason because you see it contains god's very words think about that for a second that's so special now look at second timothy chapter 3 verse 16 all scripture is given by the inspiration of god it is given by what the inspiration of god now what is inspired remember it says all scripture the word scripture or is from the word grammar in the greek all right and it's the same word you get script from so it's a writings it means writing so when you say all scriptures you're talking about writings okay so when you say all scripture is given by the inspiration of god where did inspiration happen it happened at the writing so what that means is that people were inspired to write are you with me? People were inspired. So I'm talking about the scripture itself, all right? The book itself or the books in the book. There are 66 of them, all right? They were what? Inspired of God. God inspired people to write. Are you with me? And that inspiration is not that God dictated. You know, inspiration and dictation are two different things. If I sit down with somebody and say, this is what they're going to write. And I say, um... I went on a trip to Europe last Sunday. And the person says, okay, okay. I went on, a, I was writing. I went on a trip to Europe last Sunday. That is what we call dictation. Are you with me? But inspiration is different. Are you with me? So in this case, we can say God prompted, God inspired people to write certain things down, to document certain things. All right? And that's what became the scriptures. And those certain things would involve um, events that occurred, Right? prophecies okay and that thing that we see that god inspired is prophecies okay um second peter chapter 1 verse 20 it says knowing this that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation verse 21 for prophecy never came by the will of man but holy men of god spoke as what moved by the holy spirit so these men spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. In other words, the inspiration to say what they said came by the Holy Ghost. All right? 
Although you would see that if a person was Greek, he would prophesy in Greek. He was Hebrew, prophesy in Hebrew. So that tells you that inspiration does not... Inspiration can affect, um, will I say, what you're going to say, but it doesn't really affect the outcome, like how it comes out. the com- How it comes out, how it is written, um, the kind of terms you use, many of those things have to do with you, okay? They have to do with you. But now we're dealing more with the inspiration that is the writing down that was the that's the inspiration we're dealing more with because the writing the inspiration contains the prophecies all right alongside other things all right so we know that um the book of psalms for example david prophesied okay we know that the book of proverbs um solomon all right wrote the book of proverbs now you can see that these people the now, in David's case, for example, he prophesied maybe some of those things he wrote down. There's a collection of Psalms. But you see the documentation, the fact that it was documented, it was put down, is what we're interested in today. The other prophecy one we'll look at another time, but we're interested in the fact that it was put down. Are you seeing that? So that putting down is the, what's important. And we're going somewhere with that. It's important because, you see, it is the communication to men. It is God communicating to men. And if that's the case, it means that it must be in the language of men. All right? It must be in the language that man uses. God doesn't really need language. If you've ever um, thought about it, God doesn't need language. Spirits communicate on a much higher frequency than your natural language. You know, for, for one, when you think about language, you think of, if you think of how you speak and and the way it occurs, the way it happens, and the biology behind that, all right? God doesn't need that. God can bypass that heavily, seriously. In the spirit, there's, the communication is 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 really, really different. But that's a different topic entirely anyway. So God doesn't need language, but man, you see, speaks languages. So whatever God will communicate to us, all right, would have to be in the language that we speak, all right? It would have to come, and that's why inspiration is important, and that's why God leaves it like that, because if God inspires a man to write or to prophesy or whatever, you see, God does not, um, like now if the guy is Yoruba, God won't start inspiring to speak fluent Hausa or start inspiring to speak, you know, Queen's English. And it's it's a, for a very simple, brutally logical reason, right? Your audience, if, if, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm prophesying or if I'm if I'm writing something, I'm inspired of the Holy Ghost to write or to prophesy. All right, it will have to put that in a way I understand it. And if I understand it, then it's most likely that my audience or the people that are meant to read it or hear it, all right, will also understand it. Why? Because it's in the language of man. Okay, and we're going to see that that presents some peculiar problems, you know, here and there when it comes to Bible interpretation, which is why we're here. That's why we're here. That's why we are doing this right now. Okay, so through the language of man, God seeks to communicate the spiritual reality of his salvation plan for mankind, which is why the Bible or the scriptures was given. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. And from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So from childhood, this is Paul talking to Timothy. He's saying from childhood, all right? I always say childhood is just really talking about the fact that you were from being a, a, a child, you know, in Christianity. Okay, 
you have known the holy scriptures you have known these writings that means you've been familiar with you've been taught these writings okay and they are able to make you what wise that word wise in the original language is the word sophia in the greek and it means to be skilled all right to be skilled for salvation okay through faith which is in christ and this here summarizes the reason the bible came it summarizes why there's a Bible in your hand. The Bible unveils God's mind, but not just God's mind. It's there's a specific, all right? There's a specific. Um, it unveils God's words to man. It also unveils God's plan for salvation, all right? God's words to man, God's wisdom to man, and in at the center of it all, God's plan for man's salvation, which is by faith in Christ Jesus. Genesis to Malachi, Matthew to the Revelation. This is the reason. All right. This is why these scriptures exist. Okay. I always like to say the Bible is not a history book, even if there's history inside it. The Bible is not a book of business. All right. It's not the leadership book, even if by studying it, the wisdom of God pertaining to leadership can jump at you. Are you seeing that? It's not a financial book, but you can see God's mind concerning finances and God's wisdom concerning finances in the book. But you see, that's not why it's written. It is written primarily as a book of what? Salvation. So, back to what we're saying. The person who would be inspired to write down these events or these things or God's God or, or, or the communication of God would do it in his or her language, all right? Now, that language would contain the grammatical structure, rules of communication in the language and culture, all right? This is important because that would mean the language of the Jews would play a significant role in the understanding of Bible text. And I'll explain that right now. You see, if, if God has communicated to us and if he has inspired people, all right, the people who he chose to inspire or the people who God walked through, all right, throughout history, the people that we know that have heavily influenced this Bible would be the Jews. The Jews would be that people. Are you with me? They would be that people if you think about it. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, um, Numbers, and Deuteronomy is written by who? Is by a Jew. Who? Moses. Are you seeing that? That would actually be the inspiration of scripture. The people, it's the Jews. And and that would that would mean that if you really want to get down to the nitty-gritty of this Bible, you would actually have to understand the language, the culture of the Jews. It also means that every Bible that is not in the ancient Jewish language or the Greek language, because the Jewish language was all right, where how the Old Testament was written, the, the Greek language is how the new was written. It means if your Bible is in English, if your Bible is in French, if your Bible is in Spanish, whatever language you're looking at that is not those ancient languages, then you're looking at what we call a translation. Are you seeing that? You're looking at a translation. But further than that, you're also looking at an interpretation, which is quite interesting. And someone may ask, what is the difference between a translation and an interpretation? Okay, let me give you a very good example from um, the Bible, all right? Do you remember the story of Daniel in Babylon? Okay, so Nebuchadnezzar had died and I think his son, all right, had taken over. And the son messed up big time. What did he do? He took the vessels or articles of gold and silver dedicated to God from the temple of God. They had actually, Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had, you know, taken over Israel or Jerusalem and had brought those articles 
to Babylon. And now God had forbidden them to drink of those vessels. All right. They were dedicated to God in the temple. Now, so the guy takes those things with his people and they party. And then they pour, or was doing the party, they just got so drunk and high. I said, bring those vessels out. And they drank from them. And a hand appeared from nowhere and wrote on the wall. All right. And he wrote, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Opasin. And you're like, okay, so what is that? <laughs> what does that mean? It's actually in Aramaic. You know, um, Aramaic is also a language that the Jews, you know, spoke. And it says, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Opasin. And it means, you know, count, count, way, divide. Or number, number, way, divide. Mene, Mene, Tekel, Opasin. Now, they can see that this is what this thing is, that this is the, what is written there, all right? That's, they, they can translate, mene, mene, tekel, a person. But they don't understand the meaning. What's the meaning of what you're saying? Because the meaning will be what's the interpretation. So you can see meaning transcends the letters. Meaning is, is, is you can see, count, count, way, divide, but what does it mean? Are you seeing that? So that's actually the difference between the two. And when you are, okay, so Daniel comes and then he gives the meaning, all right? He says, you're, you have been, um, your, your days are numbered, right? Uh-huh. He says, you've been, wa- you've been weighed and found wanting. And um, I think the last one is that your kingdom is going to be divided. You see that? So that was a word from the Lord, you know, to the king, where the king could not understand it. Are you seeing that? So you see, interpretation has to do with the understanding the translation just has to do with okay this is what this what it is textually what it means textually now so it's the same thing with the bible anytime that a, tra- a bible translation is made okay in your language and it's not in the original text you don't know the original language so you can't just read it directly they they, they translate it to your own language it's not just a translation. It's also going to be what we call an interpretation. Now, why is that? Well, it's because in the Bible or the language that they're translating from, there are many things in there that may not fit into today's modern language. They may not fit into uh, the way we see things. The words may have been outdated, right? I mean, for a good example, if... I say, okay, imagine in the Hebrew language there is pepper, all right? Uh-huh, there is the word pepper. Now, in in today's language, we also have the word pepper. Now, you know, the way you use pepper can vary. <laughs> For example, if I say, I will show you pepper. Now, <laughs> does that mean literally I'm saying that I will bring pepper maybe in my hand and show you? What does that mean? It means I will deal with you. I will mess you up. Are you seeing that? Aha. So the language changes and varies. So it's it's like maybe I'll use an example. Like the like if you're Yoruba or another language, when you translate to English, you know there are some there are some words that are just some things are missing. Like it's like you're looking for the words to use, you know, to best convey what you mean from your language. 
You see that? So that just means that whenever interpretation is happening, all right, or translation is happening, interpretation is also happening. And depending on who is translating, all right, if they don't have a good grasp of both languages, many things can be lost in translation. Are you seeing that? Many things can be lost in translation. That's why it's actually very important, you know, to be extremely careful when um, studying. And it's also why there is no English translation or in any language that carries the final authority. The final authority of what a text truly means would be in the original language it was written for this reason. And that's why we are crazy about all this Greek and Hebrew. Because some people say, oh God, this Greek and Hebrew. You know, when I was a younger believer, <laughs> I was fed up with this Greek and Hebrew. I said, the Bible should be simple. The Bible should be simple. What's all this stuff? What's the point? Why are we doing all these things? And I went to my pastor once and I said, sir, I, I think the Bible should just be simple. There's no need for all this, all this razzmatazz. There's no need for all this bouncing around. There's no need for all this. Can we just, I think God wanted us to know or, or to just see his word in a simple manner. And my pastor lovingly took me to the cleaners by explaining this to me that, look, it's not like that. For the very reasons I'm giving you, it's the same thing I was told. That, look, this is, it wasn't in your language. So there's so much loss. In, and, and if you look at the translations, if you look at King, King James, for example, King James is, a, is, why people like King James is because it's a word-for-word translation. All right? But even the translation will have issues depending on the understanding of <laughs> the translators. All right? I'll give you another example. John chapter 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Verse 2. Every branch in me that bears not fruit, he taketh away. Now, if you just check up, and you can do this with a what we call lexicon, all right? It gives you the original words, okay? Now, there are several words that could have been used. The word here is ero in the Greek. A-I-R-O, ero. And there are several words that could have been used but the authors, or sorry, the translators, based on their own bias, and I'll use the word bias because everyone has a bias, based on their own leaning towards what they believe about God and his character and his nature, you know, chose the word they chose, which was what that he, he, what, he ticket away, all right? But there are other words that are actually there that they could have used. Arrow is, there's a word to lift. Are you seeing that? to take up, to raise, to keep, okay? You know, to, <laughs> there's so much, there's there's so many things they could have used, all right? And if you look at the context, it makes sense to say that he lifts up, all right? It says, every branch in me that bears not fruit, he lifts up. Because if you say he take it away, that means he destroys, right? But it's a better translation or rendition based on what we know of the character of God is that it's sort of better to say he lifts up. All right, he lifts up, and every brother bears fruit. He purges that he may what bring forth more fruit. Okay, so you can see what I'm saying. That there's you you can't just be on the sidelines. Someone <laughs> someone may now be wanting to give up and say ah. So who can truly understand the Bible? And that's why you have teachers. Okay, that's why this podcast exists. That's why you you are supposed to be in a good church where these things are taught. Are you seeing that? So that you learn. Over time, you get conversant with it. You, you grow in it. We didn't learn it in one day. 
But that's why the Bible requires diligence. So, in a nutshell, your Bible, all right, has been translated. But in the bid to translate it, it was also interpreted. And that means that there are things in there that just may not be true. No offense to the translators. If you and I translate it today, it's very possible that there are errors we'll make too. Are you seeing that? And that's why there is a duty of the person who is the student of God's word, all right, to investigate, to search, to go look for those words, to look at the context, to to study, to go consistently with the word of God. Why? And it's important because if you don't know what this thing means, you are a candidate for a deception. And it affects everything about you. Can you imagine if you had that understanding or that mindset, sorry, of um, whichever brand does not bear fruit, he what he takes away. Meaning that, ah, if I'm not I'm not performing in God's kingdom, he will just throw me away. If that's the understanding that you have of God, it's going to affect you. You're going to be like an orphan child who is running away from God, who is always feeling guilty in God's presence. Are you seeing that? Not that it should not be serious, but you see, God's nature is consistent. His love nature is consistent. Whether you are not bearing fruit or whether you are bearing fruit, he will love you equally. It doesn't mean you have the same rewards, but he loves you equally. He loves you the same. You don't have to merit something. God is not saying, oh, you win a hundred souls and I answer your prayers. That's not how God is. God is a good father. Are you seeing that? So, translation, interpretation, very important concepts to understand. Now, one of the elements that is involved when it comes to um, Bible translations, and this is where a lot of people miss it, is figures of speech. Figures of speech, all right? Figures of speech. And there's something interesting about the um, NIV. Okay, so modern translations such as the NIV use an equivalent um, figure of speech in English to translate many biblical idioms. More literal versions, particularly the King James Version, translate idioms word for word. So, in as we're going to see in the Hebrew language, there are idioms. I think I dealt with this in the last episode or two when we talked about the hardness of Pharaoh's heart and I was explaining the fact that um, there are Jewish idioms, okay, that are unique to the Jewish language. Actually, we call them Hebraisms, actually. Hebraisms. They are idioms unique to the Hebrew language. So, that's why they are Hebraisms, <laughs> Okay. And um, that's important to note because when these Hebraisms, okay, an idiom, am I, am I going to share it now or later? I'm going to share it later anyway. An idiom has to do with using words that um, have nothing to do with the literal meaning of it to make an expression. So, for example, it's raining cats and dogs, okay? Cats and dogs has nothing to do with rain. Like, it's talking about heavy, heavy downpour of rain. But what does cats and dogs have to do with anything? Are you seeing that? So, that's a phrase that actually has a certain meaning, all right, that you may miss if you don't know the language. You see that? So, the King James Version, actually, the translation, they, they put it word for word, all right? Some of these um, translations, when they translate, right, they don't... They don't do word for word. They try to say, okay, word for word. Like in in the, in the best interest of people, anyway, they try to rearrange the words to make more sense to our contemporary understanding. But the King James is like word for word. And that's why it's one of the books for, um, or sorry, one of the Bibles used for very, very, very serious study, you know, to go back to the original language. Okay? So where are we heading with all this? <laughs> okay. Um, is that figures of speech is so important to the whole process and if you are not conversant with figures of speech all right when the translation is happening you're not observant and there are many who are not observant what happens is that 
um, it's translated, all right, and then you are seeing it, but because of the way it is put out, whether it's the literal King James or the other ones, if you're not aware that, look, oh, this original language, this Hebrew or Greek or Aramaic has figures of speech, the meaning of the text will jump over your head because you will take what is figurative, you know, as literal and what is literal, all right, as literal are you with me like you you won't you will miss out on a lot and your bible is a book loaded with so many figures of speech so many figures of speech all right john 4 24 god is a spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth okay now god created physical reality and i'm explaining now why there's so many figures of speech why the bible is a book that has many figures of speech it's because well god created a physical, physical reality but he's not bound by it for god to communicate spiritual realities to man it will be impossible without using comparisons of things here in the natural that can come close to describing what is unseen are you seeing that so meaning that the realm of the spirit okay is a it's a different realm it's <laughs> how i put it it's a different realm the physical realm has its own properties the spiritual realm has its own properties and so to explain or to describe the spiritual realm I, I have to, and in this case, God has to use what you know you get, what you know to describe it. It's like, imagine if you've never seen an aircraft before, and I want to explain an aircraft to you. How will I describe it? I'll say, ah, an aircraft is a, uh, ah, um, because you don't know what it is. You don't know. <laughs> I say, ah, an aircraft. Maybe you've never seen a car before. I'm trying to describe an aircraft to you. I say, um, you know, you know, bed, you know, bed, bed, bed. It's like a bed. You see, the moment I do that, I'm using what? A figure of speech. I'm using, that's an indirect comparison. Are you seeing that? It's like a bed, all right? But I could also use a metaphor. It's a bed, right? But it's not exactly a bed. It's a bed. It's, it's, a, it's a direct comparison, all right? Huh. You see that? Well, it, it glides like a bed. It goes in the air like a bed. That's already a figure of speech. I, I have to use that to paint a picture for you to, to describe. Oh, it's a very, very... Ima okay, so imagine a very, very big bed. Eh, big bed. The bed is bigger than... I'll now look around. Eh, it's, it's bigger than that. It's bigger than two elephants. Or ten elephants. Eh, really? What am I doing? I'm still trying to, you know, describe a reality to you. I have to use figures of speech. In some cases, I have to exaggerate. I have to just to give you a better picture where natural language fails to communicate it. So let's see why people use figures of speech. All right. Now, this is from um, Englishclub.com. So you see, I'm doing my research. Figurative language creates pictures in the mind of the reader or listener. These pictures help to convey the meaning faster and more vividly than words alone. We use figures of speech in figurative language to add color, interest, and to awaken the imagination. Are you seeing that? To what? Awaken the imagination. Now, why is it important to understand the figures of speech in the Bible? Well, for obvious reasons, but we're going to go through one or two. First, to get to the correct interpretation of Scripture. If you don't understand the figures of speech in scriptures, you are going to miss out on a lot of interpretations. You are going to, like, you're just going to stick to meanings and or the literal, you're going to be lost in the literal text and, and you're going to lose out on the meaning of a text. And that's very, very harmful when it comes to the Bible because the meaning of the text, all right, 
affects your very life. So a mistranslation, a misinterpretation means you're going to miss out. And it can be very dangerous to you. There are people who, in Christianity, who are, who are doing things like, uh, uh, <laughs> well, you wouldn't call them Christians. There are some people that are being, what we call, baptized for the dead. Something that Paul just said, if it was one or two lines or something like that. People are actually being baptized for the dead today. People are doing crazy things today in the name of God. Right? In the name of God. Somebody um, who most likely has a very serious misunderstanding of the authority of the believer, all right, or, or church authority, when puts gasoline over his members and, and set them ablaze. You know, you have things like that happening. And so you need to f- properly understand what the scriptures are saying because it's going to affect your very life. You should be interested in it. And then there's, of course, there's a heaven to gain and a hell should shun. So you better know what it means. All right. The second of it is to prevent serious misinterpretation of scripture, which comes from calling something figurative literal and calling something that is literal figurative. Are you seeing that? Aha. Calling something that is figurative literal and calling something, calling something literal like, as figurative. Okay. Now, how do we know when the words should be taken literally or figurative? Well, the Bible should be understood literally whenever possible, but when a statement appears to be contrary to our experience or to be or to known facts or to the general teaching of truth, then we can expect that a figure of speech is present. All right? So, I'll give you an example. You know, when something doesn't fit the normal reality we are used to, we can say, oh, I think there's a figure of speech here. For example, the Lamb of God, all right, found in John chapter 1, verse 20, 29. John spoke and said, this is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the whole world. All right? The Lamb of God. Now, the question is that he was referring to Jesus. Is Jesus a lamb? Is he going to be bleating? No. So that doesn't fit in with, you get, reality. So obviously, the Lamb of God has to do with something specific. It is a figure of speech. They are trying to make a comparison using talking about Jesus or what he's, he came to do, the Lamb of God. All right? And the reason for a lamb is because, okay, a lamb is innocent. A lamb is supposed to be pure and all that stuff. But in those days, in if you remember um, Passover, the Feast of Passover, what happened? They took a lamb and killed the lamb. And because of that, they put the blood of the lamb on the, their doorpost. And because of that, the angel of death passed over. So it's the same kind of concept. So that's why it's called the Lamb of God. Are you seeing that? Referring to what the Jews already know as, okay, as Passover. So, you see that it's a figure of speech. You see that? Aha. Uh-huh. So, one of the ma- major causes of incorrect Bible teaching is when readers take obvious figures of speech in a literal fashion. All right? In biblical times, people often use figures of speech which, which were used to help them emphasize what they were saying. Okay? So, in order to understand the Bible, a basic knowledge of commonly used biblical metaphors and figures of speech is important. Such knowledge is often helpful in refuting erroneous claims made by skeptics that the Bible contains errors or what we call discrepancies. So, in a nutshell, all right, and this is the last nutshell, the reason why the Bible has so many figures of speech is because it is referring to a reality that is beyond this world, all right? And so, because of that, God, you know, through the writers, would have to express a lot of or um, what do you call it, a lot of figures of speech to describe that realm, that above, you know, realm, that place where he comes from or that reality he wants us to experience. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So um, this is just the beginning of a series. God helping me. Um, I think 
the next one we're going to be looking at, we're going to be breaking them down. Um, we're going to be dealing with, I think, similes and metaphors in the next episode. But this is just like the introduction to figures of speech and all that. For you to understand that this is important, you have to understand these things. And when you do, that Bible will make much and much more sense to you. Alrighty, guys, that's it. Have a wonderful day. God bless you. And before we go, make sure you share this with somebody. Help them to understand these truths. And we will see you in the next episode. God bless you and bye-bye. If this blessed you, or you want to say hi, or you have a question, you can head over to my Instagram at pst.essien, pst.essien. Also, if you've been blessed and you'd love to support what we do here at MOG Podcast, then you can give to 0106-207-685. I'll say that again. 0106-207-685-GT Bank. God bless you.